Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Coke-Bride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Chris Beasley as we chew the fat over the major talker points at Goodison Park uh, ahead of uh, return to action this week at West Ham on Saturday. This is the first of two pods this week. And on the agenda today are goalkeepers. Uh, Michael Ball in his Echo column today saying it's essential that the Blues go and sign a backup goalkeeper. So I'll be getting the panel's thoughts on that. We'll also be discussing Raphael Leo, the uh, young Lille forward who has emerged on Everton's shortlist for this summer and again asking the lads whether they think that's a right move should Everton progress it and the third part of the podcast we'll be looking at stadiums and Spurs obviously this week um, their first test event at their new home their impressive new 62,000 seater home and and asking the lads whether there's any clues or inspiration Everton and architect Dan Mice can draw from what we've seen um Preno, Borley was very strong in his column as, as per um, today and, and saying it's, it's it's a must that we sign a backup goalkeeper. But do you do you agree? We've got Martin Stecklenburg there. He's played in World Cup finals. Is, is, is Borley right? You've taken the words out of my mouth. We've got one. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think he, what, what you're suggesting is uh, a younger, more hungry goalkeeper that is desperate to play first team football. I'm not suggesting that Martin Stecklenburg isn't, but you know he's been there, he's done it. You know, so maybe he's a little bit more comfortable, you know, to accept his lot. But somebody that's really going to push Pickford uh, and really, you know, so sort of basically make him up his game. To me, that suggests that you think there are issues, or Bordy thinks there are issues with um, Pickford's motivation. And I'm not so sure there are, you know, so whenever I see him, I always see a man who's absolutely driven to be, you know, the best he can be. And, you know, we hear from the training ground that, you know, he's a very, very good trainer. He's a guy that pushes himself. Maybe he wants to see him improve other elements of his game. I mean, this emotional balance that, you know, Marco Silva's talked about. And he thinks that maybe having, you know, a more direct threat to his first team place lurking over his shoulder, that might force him to, you know, sort of improve that kind of his game. But it's, it's a tricky one, you know, so trying to find a backup goalkeeper that is willing to accept, you know, so that, you know, Every goalkeeper who's of a certain age wants to play first team football. We found that with Joel Robles and, you know, so Tim Howard, you know, so he was desperate to push and got quite irritated and quite upset, you know, so when he wasn't playing or when he did perform well and then couldn't keep his place. So it's easier said than done trying to find that young goalkeeper that is going to push Jordan Pickford, uh, but equally settle for being in the background. Uh, I don't think it's essential, no. Uh, I'm quite happy with what, you know, so I'm seeing from Jordan Pickford at the moment, whilst saying that, yes, there are certain elements of his game that he does need to improve. But, you know, so. Ball, you know, so often has a point, and I wouldn't, you know, dismiss it totally. One <laughs> guy shut me down. I, do, I think one of the, one of the things that Borley was trying to stress was that all top squads have competition for places, and the goalkeeper should be no <clears> exception. <throat> so, do you understand that logic? I, I completely agree with Borley. I think that's exactly the point I was about to make. You know, you, you can't just have one quality goalkeeper. I mean, we've come, we've we've mentioned Martin Stecklenberg there. He's been limited to just 
two League Cup appearances this season. Like that, that's it. And you know, while while Pickford is the future of Everton, and I'm not, I'm not saying that he's not in any way. It, it, there is still massive room for improvement, and I just think if you bring in a younger, you know, hungry goalkeeper who's going to push him a little bit, you know, it's only going to bring even more out of Pickford. Surely it's going to bring the best out of his game. You know, we, we see that all over the pitch. I don't see why. But doesn't that goal- stuns Jack Virginia's progress though, who, you know, presumably is that young goalkeeper that's, you know, sort of being brought in to push for the future. Possibly, but can you see him being Premier League ready over the next <laughs> I'm, I'm two or three years? I don't years. know that much about him. <laughs> the clips I've seen. So he's, he's, he's so young that he's, yeah. you know, we're still... We've, we've still got to look years and years into the future before we're, you know, going to be relying on yeah. him in a Premier League sense. You know, I, I think, I, I wouldn't say get a goalkeeper in who's as young as Pickford. I'd be looking maybe a bit older, yeah. sort of the 28, 29, you know, old ballpark, you know. I, I personally think the best backup goalkeeper in the league is probably Sergio Romero at Manchester United. Like, you know, could we... Could we be looking for that sort of caliber mm. of goalkeeper? You know, he he seems very happy to just be sat on the bench and just be called upon when needed. And you know, it, it is quite hard to find players who are going to be that way motivated. But, and and you know, cost it, effective, given Farhad Mashiri is yeah. you know so mm. wanting bang for his buck these days. Yeah. You don't want to be spending twenty million quid on a goalkeeper who's going to be sitting on the bench mm. you know, so thirty-five times a season. Exactly. So. But at the end of the day, that's why we're paying. Marcel Brands, this kind of money, yeah. you know, he's meant to be identifying these kind of targets, you know, for their mentality as much as their playing ability. And I'd like to think that they will have plans set up for, you know, Stecklenberg's only got a year left on his contract. So it's a it's a situation that they're going to have to address sooner rather than later. You know, if it's not this summer, then it's got to be in January or next summer. So I, I would tend to prioritise it this summer. Bees is, is another goalkeeper to go with Pickford, Stecklenberg and the up-and-coming Virginia, a luxury that we can afford? Or is it is it, is it very much that, a luxury that, you know, we're not in a position to uh, to have this summer? I, I don't know if it is a luxury Everton can afford. I think there are a lot more priorities. Um, go, and I understand what Silver said when he came in. He said, I want two quality players in each position. And, and that's what you want. But I think that's for the outfield players. Um, I think goalkeepers are... Sp- specialised position you're either in or you're out aren't you you can't just bring your keeper on for the last 20 minutes give him a run out you, you know you, you've got your number one and your number two and Everton are fortunate enough to have a very good number one England's number one and yes he's had a few moments this season where he's you know it, the wheels have come off most notably Newcastle of late but you know he's very much the future of, of Everton everyone would hope so for me it's it, it's quite low down on the, the list of uh, um, priorities and I think there are much more pressing matters so in that respect just pick on something you said mm-hmm. there and maybe and maybe are we are we fortunate that we've got somebody of the experience of Martin Stecklenberg who is for all intents and purposes content to almost accept this quasi coaching role if you were mentor position as well as being backup but accepting that you know by and large unless there's an injury he's probably not going to play yeah, I'd actually say Everton are quite fortunate in that respect. Like say, like it's been said already, he's just a goalkeeper who's played at the top for a number of years, played in the World Cup final. He's never let Everton down when when he's played. He's he's always been decent. He was uh, he spent his first 
most of his first season as number one because Everton, he was expected to come in as a number two and ended up being number one when another goalkeeper wasn't signed. So he's always done well and caught when called upon. I don't think he'd let anyone down. So I think for another year, yeah, he can continue in that. And maybe let's look at this in 12 months time. We had the situation, didn't we, a few years back when um, we had the young up and coming, you know, so England goalkeeper in Richard Wright, mm. uh, who wasn't quite the success that everybody hoped he would be. And, you know, arrived in a big money and Moyes was looking for that, you know, backup goalkeeper that you know, kind of you're talking about, you know, so Adam, like a slightly older version and bought Nigel Martin for a mm. pittance 400 grand, who suddenly turned out to be the best goalkeeper we've had since Neville Southall. So yeah, you know, so bringing in, you know, so goalkeepers of that vintage, you know, so as security to a push, you know, so the, the up and coming youngster can sometimes have dividends and whether those kind of players are out there now, I, I don't know. Is, is there not an argument there, therefore, just to, just to carry on, on, on the discussion? Because as, as Adam rightly points out, Stecklenburg's only got 12 months left on his contract when we finish this season. Mm. So if you think about, if we give by ourselves another 12 months, Stecklenburg carries on for the final 12 months. Joe Virginia is given another 12 months to progress. Bring somebody in as a backup, as a 12-month stopgap, and then go, right, okay, then we've got, Stecklenburg will probably leave. Pickford's still number one. Virginia's pushed, and then, and then maybe add another one of the youngsters coming through. Or yeah, well, again, that I suppose you know to endorse what Borley's saying. That doesn't push Jordan Pickford, then does it? It doesn't give mm. him the player who's you know basically pushing him to improve. But I'm saying um, well, in 12 months' time, you know, could we see a position maybe where Virginia is ready to push Pickford? Hopefully, yeah. I mean, it all depends on how Pickford performs in the next uh, 12, 18 months. You know, it's. Uh, there have been many times in history where we've had, you know, sort of two decent goalkeepers pushing each other. I mean, Jim Arnold and uh, Neville Southall was a case in point where, you know, Jim Arnold was a very, very good goalkeeper uh, and certainly, you know, sort of pushed Neville Southall to improve. Um, you know, we don't have that at the moment. Stecklenburg, I, I don't know. I mean, I always think of Stecklenburg as being a, a steady keeper without being spectacular. I know those two penalty saves at Man City will always be talked about, but I don't know, you know, Solid and unspectacular, and you know, so is that enough to actually push somebody you want? You know, so a, a young goalkeeper that will produce occasional spellbinding performances that might give the guy in situ the chance to, you know, sort of reappraise himself, look over his shoulder. We don't have that at the moment, but arguing against myself here because, as I said at the start, <laughs> I don't think that it's essential yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I, mean, I suppose the, un the, un the unspoken thing about, about Pickford is, you know, despite his up and down this season, Ad. You know, do you sense that any other clubs would actually maybe try and test Everton's resolve over Pickford? I mean, last summer it was talked about Chelsea, although mm. we understood that there was actually nothing in it. Mm. You know, I mean, it, it, we can't ignore the fact that some clubs might might want you know, might want him. Yeah, why wouldn't the, they? Oh, yeah, there's absolutely the potential there. I think when you've got a player as good as Jordan Pickford for as young as he still is, especially in terms of a goalkeeper, you know, it, it's. It's hard to think of a situation where there wouldn't be clubs interested in him in the summer. I'm like, not sure which clubs, you know, uh, still a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of movement to be done before before the transfer window sort of opens. You know, we don't know which clubs are going to be on, on the hunt for a goalkeeper. But, you know, if some of Europe's top clubs are in the hunt for a goalkeeper, it's, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they come knocking for Jordan Pickford. But <sighs> what kind of offer would you accept for Pickford? Mm. Like, it's got to be... Absolutely massive money because in my head, Lee Everton have ended up with a bargain in signing him for as much as they did. Yeah. He's still 
young, he's still England's number one, as we've said. He's still produced some incredible performances this season alongside, you know, some iffy ones. But, you know, that's that's what happens to any young player, really. I think he's still got so, so much more to give. He could, like, this time last year, we were saying, oh, we could be Everton's goalkeeper for years to come. He was just about to absolutely sweep the Dixies at the end of the last season. You know, he's still got so much to give. And, you know, I, I think that Everton should be prioritising him for the remain the next you know five new, ten years. Got a new contract in you this season, of course. Yeah, so there's no there's no sort of incentive for Everton to sell, and I think they should be prioritising trying to get the most out of Pickford that they possibly can. And I just think the best way to be able to do that is to bring in a goalkeeper who is going to be you know maybe pushing them that little bit more than Stecklenberg is uh, at the minute. The experiences he's had at the moment as well are only going to improve him, you know, so as a person, as a player. I mean, he's played in a World Cup semi-final, you know, so at, at the age at which he is. The experiences he's had this season, I would hope, will be positive for him. Um, you know, he's being pushed to the England set-off, you know, so every time, you know, he makes a mistake at club level, um, the, the national media focus is all on should he be England's goalkeeper. So that's creating pressure, which, you know, hopefully he will learn to handle and react better to. Because, uh, you, know, you know, it's a goldfish bowl, you know, so for a young man to try and, you know, sort of improve his career, you know, in a spotlight like that. And fingers crossed, you know, so he'll do it. He'll come out the other side, you know, a much better goalkeeper all around. And he's got it's, he's got two managers who have so much faith in him, really. Yeah, he? Southgate, like, Southgate is, yeah. is yeah. speaks always speaks so highly of him. Yeah. And even with the kind of increased competition that he's got for England you know Jack Butland's not a bad goalkeeper at all Tom Heaton's a really yeah. good uh, goalkeeper Nick Pope is still at Burnley as well and he's still you know a young prospect for the future but Pickford is regularly ahead of them and it's it's really good to see that kind of faith Burnley a great example of having two keepers at the yeah, top yeah. of the game arguably um, yeah Bees, you, you were yeah, keen was, to interject there yeah I was just going to say I'm um, hopefully Everton don't want it to come to this but I think um Fee-wise, I think there'd be uproar if you had anything less than a, a world record fee. I'm not saying he, he, he's, mm, he's better than those two keepers who went for big money last summer, but given what the price has paid for both Allison and then Kepper, um, I think given Pickford's age and the fact that he's English as well, England's number one, I think it, it would have to be a, a world record fee. And of I course, think. Pickford wouldn't refuse to come off like Kepper. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he's a modern keeper. Ah, yeah, you know, he's great with the ball at yeah. his feet. Oh, he does it a bit sometimes, tries mm-hmm. to be a bit too ambitious, which again is something he's learning. But yeah, he's a photo fit of your top-class modern goalkeeper. Indeed, interesting stuff, Chats. Thank you very much. Um, Preno, Raphael Leo. Yeah. I'm none the wiser, really, I have Ke? to be honest. Uh, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Um, but obviously, we, we, we're aware that he's on the shortlist, uh, yet to be seen whether the Blues will firm up that interest and make a move, but he's been discussed. Um, teenager, scored a few goals in France, big reputation from Portugal, one of the players that left yeah. in that exodus of sporting Lisbon. Uh, does it feel like a, a right move for you? Well, you just told me everything that I know about him. I mean, I saw the name on a Saturday morning amongst all the transfer speculation. And so, you know, read the stories about him leaving one of those many that left Sporting Lisbon after the uh, the training camp was invaded um, our team here has done a, you know, a nice bit of research into what kind of player he is obviously you firmed up the fact that there is an interest you know, sort of from the club in him all sounds quite promising but you know, it seems to fit that strategy that Marcel Brands told you not so long ago about um, wanting players that can you know interchange across that front three and they're playing a variety of positions, have pace, have you know, so a bit of dynamism, which which is great. But to me, it 
doesn't solve the, the big problem that we have at the moment, and that's an out-and-out goal scorer, a Romelu Lukaku replacement that we still haven't got. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an old-fashioned type centre-forward with physicality. It just needs somebody to be a regular goal scorer that's going to get, you know, at least 20 goals a season. And uh, he scored, you know, re- was it seven goals for Lille this season. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a bad record, but it suggests, you know, he's not going to be... Uh, you know, a, a goal every other game type marksman, unless they've spotted potential there, which they have done with other players as well. Uh, and they've seen something in there that can improve. And again, you know, does that then limit Dominic Calvert-Lewin's uh, opportunities going forward? Uh, if he's a, an upgrade on Dominic Calvert-Lewin, fine. You know, so no issues with that. But to me, there's still a few question marks. You know, it does look like a promising signing, but one that still leaves a gap in the squad to be filled. And, the, and what I was told yesterday was the understanding is that a player of that type, whether it's Leo or somebody else, would be targeted. And then, if Tosin can be shipped off yeah. and his wages removed from the from the bill permanently, a more experienced <clears throat> in inverted commas player would come in on top of that because that's what Marco would be looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's a relative term experience, of course. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And you know, from, from what we hear, it seems that you know, so Cheng Cheng Tosin. I know Marco Silva publicly. Uh, says that he's got total faith in him, but we're hearing that his opportunities are going to be reasonably limited, let's say. You know, so between now and the end of the season, they are looking elsewhere, which you can understand. I mean, the, the lad can finish. Certainly scored two for Turkey last night, you know, so he, he's a reliable finisher, but it seems like they want more than that. They want somebody with a bit more pace, with a bit more mobility uh, in the final third. I think the he, question for Tosin, perhaps Brenner, would be, Jenk, could you play across the three positions in the front line? Clearly, the answer's no, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well, he was brought in by a manager that bases his football philosophy on getting the ball into wide positions and get crosses into the box. You know, for a fellow like him to actually, you know, take advantage of, and he did. You know, in the first uh, few months of his Everton career, you know, he showed he did have the ability to do that. Whereas Marco Silva, stroke Marcel Brands, have a different uh, style of play, a different philosophy, which he doesn't fit, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, so yeah, they'd be looking elsewhere, you know, for different types of players. I think, you know, so rather than a player in the Czech Tosin mould, mm. I'd have ever seen Raphael Leo play. Can't say I have. No, no. Uh, but you know, I've seen Bees's piece with the uh, Liga and expert yesterday who described mm. them as the uh, Portuguese and Bap. That'll do. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I'm all on board. <laughs> Although I do seem to remember before we signed Morales, he was described as the Belgian Ronaldo, right. which uh, didn't okay. exactly come off. <laughs> yeah, just moments, but not quite. Well, yeah. yeah, I think I think it's quite nice to see us linked with these, you know, exciting kind of young talents. You know, this is the kind of thing, you know, even going back to when we first brought Steve Walsh into the club, these are the kind of signings that Everton fans, you know, wanted to see. You know, these sort of hidden gems, maybe, you know, like yeah. these kind of signings that fly under the radar, these young young, exciting, vibrant, energetic yeah. sort of players. You know, you, you want to see Everton and you really, to, you really to, bringing these players in, don't you? You've got to take a punt on them sometimes as well because uh, I always remember when Lille had a, you know, an exciting young midfielder that everybody in Europe was talking about and everybody hummed and hard should they take a chance on him. Liverpool mm. were eternally linked with him and they didn't. Anyway, Chelsea bought Eden Hazard and as, as we know what happened then, you know, became arguably one of the best players in the world. Mm. Sometimes you do need to take a punt on some of these mm. players. And okay, he's operating in a lower uh, league at the moment, uh, but could he do it in the mm. Premier League level? If you don't take a punt on these players, you'll never know. Mm. I think he, he absolutely fits the profile, as we've said, that uh, Marcel Brands wants Everton's players to sort of have. But I just think it's if we were to bring him in, it would be intriguing not just to see what happens with the likes of Cenk Tosun, but you know how this affects the likes of Adam Ola Luchman's chances, yeah. even... 
uh, Henry Onyekuru's chances, maybe. Even I would suspect it would be bad news for Theo Walcott. Oh, you'd have you'd have to think so, wouldn't you? Like, but and any of us particularly concerned by that? No, 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 <laughs> no, not at all. He's had enough opportunities. Yeah. But then you've yeah. you've got the scenario then of can you offload Walcott for sure. a decent enough price, and who will take on his wages? Like as Gav always says on this yeah. on this podcast, you know that the wages are the kind of the big thing to try and get over with Walcott. But you know to see us linked with some exciting young talent like that, I never I never think it's a necessarily bad thing. No. I think the issue could be whether Everton can get him. Obviously, mm. uh, he's doing really well at Lille. They're the second only to Paris Saint-Germain. So heading for potential Champions League football next season. Mm. I think Manchester City have also been linked with him. So um, there's a guy, Andrew Gibney, who's done stuff with the Echo in the past. Um, he, he follows Lille very closely. He said he's a very raw talent, but very exciting. Yeah. So yeah, if it's a bill there. Does, could... it, does, it, does it play into our hands, if you like, or our favour that... The pull of the Premier League has oh, been yeah. one. Two, he's unproven, so perhaps the big boys, if you like, would go, we're not willing to spend. But if he does well for 12, 18 months, two years at Goodison, we'll because he's then proven in the Premier mm. League, yes, then we'll go for him. Is that is that working in our favour at the minute? You know, yeah. for, as much as we want to be among the elite, yeah. actually just being on the periphery in these instances perversely yeah. actually can work in our favour, maybe. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps so. Um, um, I mean, no Evertonian wants to think of Everton being a, a selling club, but you've got to be realistic. And I think Marcel Brands himself has talked about Richarlison and the fee that was paid for him. So, you know, he's already doubled in value, perhaps. So it'd be worth a lot more in, in a couple of years. So, but perhaps so, if, if he's one of these who's just, just underneath the, the elite level, they'll, they'll wait a couple of years and see how he gets on with the Blues. But yeah, I think um, he certainly, he's, he's, like we said, um, that exciting, hungry young player, perhaps that um, Moyes was. Um, famous for, for bringing on and that's the sort of player who'd excite the fans. I think the fact that Everton have got a reputation as well for giving, you know, so young players yeah. first team opportunities would work in Everton's favour. You know, so players are going to look at, you know, so Everton's lineups over the last 12 months or so and see that, well, yeah, you know, so young kids are given the opportunity to show what they can do. And, you know, if, if you've got the confidence in your own ability, uh, you know, grab that opportunity. So, yeah, fingers crossed that would work in Everton's favour. Especially also. when you compared in Everton to Man City yeah. when you've seen Jadon Sancho jump ship at Man City because he exactly, wasn't getting yeah. chances Brahim Diaz jump ship as well because yeah. he's not going to get it, chances Phil Foden you know he's getting a few opportunities but is he getting yeah. enough even, even players such as Leroy Sané and uh, Jesus mm. still young players and yes they're in the squads and stuff and, and you know, it's, a great, it's a very difficult squad to break into but they're mm. not guaranteed to play are they? No exactly so I, I'd, I'd like to think if you were you know a young ambitious player you'd be looking at the like two clubs like Everton and Man City and you're thinking to yourself well where am I going to get the most exposure where am I going to get the most opportunities to try and impress and you know you'd have to say that's surely going to be Everton Mm. I just want to pick up on something Adam said earlier in in this uh, discussion about young players do you think one of Farhad's biggest disappointments about the Steve Walsh period was that he didn't or didn't hasn't appeared we have to see how on Yukuru fares of course but didn't appear to unearth these type of players that you know it, it, we're looking at now because that's almost the reputation and that was almost the the USP of Steve wasn't it that he would find players that nobody else would find 100% mm. I mean it's, it's an apocryphal story this uh, but you know last January when Everson were looking for a uh, for a centre forward um, and you know so they asked Steve Walsh you know, so what, what names could he put forward and Jamie Vardy's name was put forward um, alright great player Jamie Vardy who's yes, that but exactly it's not quite fitting that you know style of player that you know so that you know 
up-and-coming young talents that we were hoping for. Cheng Tosin, you could say, probably you know wasn't that well known to many of us, but didn't you know experienced you know so footballer who'd been around for a while didn't really fit that bill. So yeah, that almost undoubtedly has been a disappointment. I mean, you hear stories galore. I mean, obviously a reputation was forged on the back of unearthing Kante, who became this great player. But again, you subsequently hear that. Well, actually, no, it was the scouts in mm. France that first identified Kante, and you know, and Steve Walsh just got the credit for it. So you don't know what the truth of the matter is. Uh, but yeah, undoubtedly, uh, the younger players that Everton brought in haven't really pushed on. I mean, certainly the players that were bought for David Unsworth's under-23 setup, of which there were a significant number, uh, Lewis Gibson we wrote about uh, at the weekend. But again, we hear that it was actually David Unsworth that was pushing for those players to be brought in. It wasn't Steve Walsh. So again, it suggests that, you know, so there was a gap in the uh, in the scouting network there that wasn't being addressed by Steve Walsh and hopefully now is, you know, by Marcel Brands. In the interest of balance, and, and, um, do you think Steve's Perhaps he would have a desire to try and unearth these type of players, but do you think he was a victim of circumstance, perhaps, what was going on on the pitch, maybe? Or, is, or should he still have been able to find these players regardless? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you, you hear so many stories about what was going on then. I know eyebrows were raised that, you know, Steve <clears> Rush <throat> always appeared to be uh, as Everson matches home and away. And people are saying, well, why isn't he around, you know, so other football grounds, you know, so identifying talent elsewhere. And he would argue that he's got a scouting network that does that for and him. of course, Marcel's at every game. Exactly. Mm. And he needs to actually know the style of play that the Everson's first team is playing in. I think that was always his comeback. Yeah. You know, he needs to know how the team is playing to see how players were going to be fitting into that. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is the, the, the younger players that Everson brought in were either disappointing or, you know, so sort of just didn't register at all. And, you know, we're seeing a slight change in that now, certainly, you know, so since Marcel Brands has arrived. Mm. And, you know, so hopefully it will continue even more. Anya Kura is the interesting one. And, in you know, he does seem to have a reputation already. And, you know, he is, you know, basically uh, a much sought after talent. But the work permit situation is still one that still hasn't been resolved, you know, so it may or may not be in the near future. Uh, but, you know, they're not going to lose any money on him, certainly. You know, so might even end up making money on him. Uh, but yeah, certainly, you know, sort of brighter, younger talent does need to be added to the roster. I think the main problem that Steve Walsh kind of had, and it's something that I've mentioned before, is that he'd never been a director of football. Everton had never yeah. had a director of football. I'm, I'm pretty sure there must have been some discrepancy there. Like, I don't think either side particularly knew like the intricacies of what the job would entail. Like, obviously, Marcel Brands has been doing it for years, so he's probably come in and like reshaped the the entire club and the way the way a director of football does things. And I think Everton have now, even in just this few short months that he's been here, you know, Everton have probably learned a lot about what should have been happening under Steve Walsh. So I think maybe a little bit of the blame can be taken off him in that sort of sense because, you know, he's only been like a head scout, uh, whatever he'd been thus far. So maybe maybe a tiny bit of blame can be taken off him, but it's, it's, I still think Everton are much better now with uh, with Marcel Brands and the system that's been set up. Mm. But it's just the last one on, on mm-hmm. Raphael Leo and and that type of player. Um, Marcel also said to us just before Christmas, he, he pointed when I spoke to him about forward options and strikers and stuff, he pointed to Liverpool and said, well, they've got five or six players who will go and score goals for you. So therefore, adding a, that type of player yeah. rather than a reliance on, on one. Yeah. Do you understand that logic? Do you agree with it? Yeah. And- totally, because we've gone on and on quite rightly so, about um, Romelu Lukaku and replacing Romelu Lukaku. You can't replace Romelu Lukaku. There are very few players in world football, certainly 
players who are available to Everton mm. who are going to score anywhere near them, that amount of goals. And Everton had that for 20 years before Romelu Lukaku came to the club. I mean, a lot of people obviously don't like the fact that he spent a lot of time talking about moving from Everton while he was still at Everton. And um, it was almost like it was always a stepping stone mm. to something else. But the amount of stick that he gets now, the, 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 when people say, oh, I'd never have him back, I think it's absolutely, totally ridiculous. He's heads and shoulders above any other striker who's played for Everton in the Premier League era. And that's because they've not had anybody like that for a generation. And they may not have anybody like that for another number of years to come. So yeah, I think you have to try and share the goal scoring burden and in that respect, it's kind of what Everton actually did in their last title winning season in 86, 87. They'd sold Gary Lineker and they shared the goals around and ended up winning the title for the last time to, to date. So yeah, you, you can't get that. You could try and sort of sign that sort of player, you know, a physical number, young, a, a like number, a number nine. Yeah, Rom, like yeah. Rom was when yeah. we signed him. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you can never be guaranteed that sort of goal return. So I think you have to try and, and share the burden. I think it's a sensible policy. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Uh, and so we move on to the third and final part of today's <coughs> podcast. Uh, 11 years in the waiting for Spurs fans and at the weekend they finally got to experience their new stadium. Uh, the first of two test events took place an under-18s game with Southampton. And Preno, it seemed to go down very well in the images um, of Spurs' new ground. Uh, mighty impressive. I was blown away, yeah. You, you had that you know, goldfish bowl video that, you know, sort of does the 360-degree uh, tour of the stadium. And to me, that looked impressive enough and really striking. It was, you know, it had its own identity, I thought. Um, it had an, an unusual shape. It was, it, it was you know... A, a bowl, but it appeared to have, you know, sort of soaring, you know, banks of terrace or stands all the way around. Uh, but that was only from like that image. I read with some interest some of the uh, national media reports uh, yesterday, the Times in particular, uh, describing it as extraordinary. Mm. And they say the images don't do it justice. He said when you walk in and you're actually confronted with it, it just hits you. And I think that the last place I can actually say really had that impact on me was uh, St. James's Park when it actually had its... Um, third tier added because it was a very old-fashioned traditional stadium St. James's Park you know with the old students you know accommodation with locks in <laughs> Flats, the back yeah. and then um, you know when I walked in there that time and just like my head went up and up and up just looking at how high that you know so soaring terrace was now we've been there so many times you get used to it a little of bit course, blase. Yeah. but at that time it, it was striking you know for the you know football stadium that were around at that time and uh, Tottenham had that sort of seems, seems to be having that similar kind of impact um, there's still a few things they could do to, you know, make it even more of a Tottenham identity, which you would hope that Everton will have, you know, Bramley Moore will have, um, you know, a bit of, you know, Archibald Leach crisscross. I don't know, but you know, something mm. that identifies this as very much Everton's home, you know, so rather than another football stadium. But yeah, for me, it looks great. And it, it set the bench high, you know, it set the benchmark high, you know, so that Dan Mice will have seen it and be very aware of it. And he's got his own ideas and his own plans, uh, but it just does you know, say, look, this is what can be achieved, mm. admittedly for 800 million quid, which is, you know, so a huge sum of money. Mm. But, you know, so the uh, the standard has been set. Follow uh, that, as they say. Indeed. Mm. Um, the showpiece, if you like, or the centrepiece of, of Spurs' new ground, Adam, is their 
South Stand, which is the designated home end, uh, 17,500 seats, bigger than the Vitality Stadium, <laughs> 34, 34 metres high, uh, and just shy of five metres from the touchline. Again, people are referring to the inspiration for that being the yellow wall in Dortmund, mm-hmm. which we know is going to be the inspiration for Everton's. Um, does that excite you that, that, that potentially... The Bramley Moor home end will look something like that. Yeah, and I, and I think looking at the pictures of that stand, it does look massively impressive. You know, that just like one single tier. It it just it comes across so well on like TV cameras and like still images even. But I think the main issue that you've got with Spurs doing that stand is that the prices of tickets in that stand are ridiculously expensive. Like I won't try and say the exact figure because I can't I can't remember the exact figure, but you know. It, I saw somebody uh, comparing it to the ticket prices in that yellow wall. And I think what makes that yellow wall so special is that it, that it is so cheap that you can get so many, you know, diehard supporters mm-hmm. uh, who can just go in there whenever they want and they create that massive atmosphere. And I'm not saying that Spurs aren't going to create a really good atmosphere from that, but, you know, you you are restricting your fan base somewhat by putting prices so high in the, in a stand that you want to be, you know, you want your most diehard fans, you want it to be the most inclusive. So I think Everton just need to try and take take that on board as much as they can, learn learn as many lessons from that as possible because we all want to see that kind of stand at Everton. You know, we've seen over the last couple of weeks the kind of atmosphere, you know, the kind of effect that atmosphere can have, you know, especially in that derby, you know, the Gladys Street was incredible. The Gladys Street looked amazing. Uh, against Chelsea a couple of weeks later. You know, we want that kind of thing in the new Bramley Moor Stadium behind the goal. So I, w- I wouldn't say say to Everton, don't be looking at making that kind of stand, but make it accessible for as many people as you want. And maybe put that some of them mad beer taps in as well, because they look, <laughs> they have, they've blown my mind. How does that work? <laughs> well, so, so somebody else sent me another uh, video of the internal part of the press room. Um, at, right up. White Hart Lane, going yeah, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, yeah. Uh, and again, I mean, the working facilities looked uh, absolutely, you know, phenomenal. You know, so spacious, classy, um, and a list of what was on offer um, for culinary delights uh, that afternoon. <laughs> oh. And oh, I tell you, there were pies to die for. Finished off with old Winchester custard tart. I thought, I'm, I'm sold on. I'm, lo- I'm looking I'm forward sold. to this last game of the season, <laughs> Phil. Not sure about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, be sitting proudly atop of Spurs' south stand is yeah. a large giant cockerel, which is obviously a part of Spurs' yeah. heritage and on their badge. What's the one thing, Prenner talked about briefly at the start of the discussion, what's the one, if there's one thing from Goodison <laughs> that you would want to take into Bramley Moor in that regard, what would what would it be? Well, that, it, it, it's, it, it's not a physical object. What I'd want to take is the atmosphere right, as, okay. as much as possible. But in regards to a... Physically bring. I think Dave's alluded to it with the. Uh, I think the Archibald Leach crisscross design is so iconic. It's, it's interesting, really, because all of Leach's stands used to have that. So it wasn't Villa Park, yeah, Sunderland. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't particular yeah. to Everton. Ibrox as well. Yeah, yeah. Ibrox still does. Yeah, yeah. Ibrox is actually one of the very few that still does. So it's seen as being typical of Everton, but it was actually um, Leach's um, trademark, as you were. But I think it. it, it that's, that's something. Um, Quite um, typical. What we've already heard from uh, Mr. Mice himself last year was that there was an idea perhaps to bring um, 1878, 1878 seats from from Goodison Park. That's something he'd already said. And right. then we, we saw 
with the, the leaked documents um, <laughs> earlier this year that there's also this idea, not of bringing something from Goodison, but paying homage to, to the dock. So yes. almost have the, the, yeah. dock, the dock, dock wall. wall. And I mean, almost. that actually concerned me, the thought of having bricks behind the goal from a yeah. safety yeah. point of view. You know, we see, especially if it's going to be close towards the pitch, we see often at Goodison players going into the hordens. I hope there wouldn't be a safety issue in that respect. But yeah, I, th- I think maybe... Just move them for the away yeah. end. <laughs> the opposition can attack that end. Yeah. It reminds me of when we were at Stoke last season and it, um, it, oh, yeah. it was snowing and they, they cleared the home penalty area, but not the, the away <laughs> penalty area for Jordan Pickford. That went well then, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah uh, when they had the blue markings at Stoke. But um, yeah, perhaps the, the Archibald um, Leach, I mean, I don't know, maybe it'd be a blaster from the past, Dave. Maybe, maybe bring back some sort of nod to the Littlewoods clock or something like that I don't know that's a nice thought yeah, yeah. I was just you know what does identify Goodison Park because things come and go I mean people talk about the people of my vintage those uh, half moon crescents that used to sit behind the goals uh, that they took out I think because I to protect the goalkeepers, well, I think they, they, were, yeah. they were initially put in yeah. to protect goalkeepers because yeah. yeah, Pat Jennings got hit on the back of the head with a bottle thrown from the crowd. <laughs> oh, to revive that, um, and it was to try and keep the fans, you know, sort of a bit further back. But they just became a bit synonymous with Goodison yeah. Park. Um, Littlewoods Clocks is another one. Um, the church, how can you possibly know, so recreate thinking, a church? Yeah. You can't yeah. do it, can you? Um, but you know that is you know the the only football ground that I'm aware of that has had you know a place of worship in the corner mm. alongside where fans go to worship. Uh, whether there could be some subtle nod to that somewhere, I don't know. Uh, but that's why we're around here yeah. talking about it. And Dan's an architect who's going to have the uh, yeah. the answers to these questions. You know, yeah. so when push comes to shove, personally, mm. I'd be more concerned about the the exterior because I yeah. mean the, the inside of the ground. We, we we've kind of seen how it would probably look and uh, there can't be that much difference in um, the, the seats and this should be a different coloured seat it'd be royal blue rather than the darker seats at Tottenham but as someone uh, myself um, I live in New Brighton and when I look across now I can see Goodison and An- Anfield um, from, near, from near where we live and obviously Anfield dominates the horizon even mm. more so it's on the hill anyway but even more so now since they built the huge big main New main stand and got a new stand, lovely. Yeah, um, <laughs> big hole. And punch. I think, uh, well, I've heard the only people I've heard um, criticising Tottenham's new stadium are Liverpool fans and perhaps oh, really? because they don't like the idea <laughs> of um, bright, yeah. uh, beautiful yeah. new stadiums. Um, yeah. yeah, but so for it's going to be part of that iconic Liverpool skyline, that the, the cityscape and the free graces, the cathedrals. So certainly, looking across from from our side. Mm. You, That's a good you, point. Yeah, yeah what, what does you, it look like from this to, to look special? Yeah. So what's some, what what is Symbolically, Everton for the out, that can be on the outside mm. of the state, other than the crest, of course, mm. and the badge. You know what? I don't know if it has to be symbolically Everton, but I think it needs to be something quite unique and iconic. Prince Rupert's um, Tower, yeah. something to do with yeah. that, that uh, incorporated on the outside of the building, s- maybe something. So it, it feels. I think Mr. Meiser said himself, almost raised. I don't know what his exact, exact phrase was, but like emerging, it looking yeah, like it emerged the, from the, the dock, dock itself. So how can we have Prince Rupert's Tower on all four corners? You know, so where, it, does, where does the statue of Dixie have to be on the approach? I, I, I was going to say about the statue of Dixie. The approach from coming off the dock road as you walk in, or for the people looking. Per- personally, I would like to see it on the riverside, looking out to where he came from, Birkenhead. You know, that, 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 that was his roots. Yeah. And, you know, looking across the river, you know, sort of the place that, you know, forged his ability. It'd be quite nice, but... It almost looked like he was walking on water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even points. better, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. I like the sound of that. Is that a time when you'd introduce new sort of statues as well? For like, or, for other, other club legends, yeah. Trinity, yeah, Holy Trinity, yeah. 
Well, they're going to be left behind at Goodison, we're told, aren't they? There's right. going to be a Ball Harvey Kendall statue, mm. you know, as left part leg- as, as part of the legacy, yeah. Mm. But that doesn't say, you know, that there can't be other statues, you know, so around Goodison Park. I think Kendall especially, you know, being, yeah. you know, such an iconic player Absolutely. and manager for the club, yeah. I think I think he's absolutely deserving of a statue at the new ground. Do you think we have to take the, the Goodison, recent Goodison stand names with us? Oh, again, good question. Um, because they've been obviously, yeah. was it last, last season? The relatively me. recent, yeah. I mean, the Howard yeah. Kendall Gladys Street is only a few years old. Yeah. The yeah. Philip Carter yeah. Park End was the same time. You do, can, you, can you leave that emotional Poor. connection as much as Everton, as you say, Prenner, are leaving the legacy and, and that yeah. would, but the stands are going, won't they? Eventually Goodison will go, we assume, you know. Yeah, that's good, good, Goodison Park. Yeah, there's going to be all kinds of, you know, sort of buildings, you know, sort of built around there, leaving a legacy. You do need to have some kind of nods to the past in the new place and whether that includes the, the players' names, I don't know, whether that just means the actual titles, the Gladys Street mm-hmm. end or, you know, sort of the park end. I, I, I don't know. Whether fans will give them their own titles, the Riverside Stand, I don't know, yeah. the, the the Dock Road Stand. Um, there's a lot, a lot of talking to be done between now and uh, you know, and the, uh, and, got, and then the interesting one, bees actually is, mm-hmm. and again, this is this is for people far more qualified than us to actually <laughs> get done. But naming rights is an issue because how many people, how many Evertonians would now refer to the ground, the proposed ground already is Bramley Moor? It's yeah. Bramley Moor, isn't it? Yeah. And, and is that going to be the real difficult sell for Everton when they go to these blue chip companies, these high tech companies and looking for a naming rights partner? Because, you know, as Newcastle have found out, it's still St. James's, isn't it? It's yeah. not the Sports Direct. Yeah, if, if it had been and perhaps um, a less iconic site, maybe that would have helped them more in mm. going to the, uh, the the sponsors because it, would, it wouldn't have had a, a natural name. But yeah, it almost seems to be. Um, Bramley Mordock in the way that um, like we're saying we were saying well what's Tottenham's new ground it was officially it was called the, the Northumberland development I think but nobody really refers no, to it no. as that whereas this is yeah the iconic Riverside site the Bramley Mordock mm. so perhaps that, that would be difficult and I don't know it, maybe they'll do a great deal and it'll officially be called whatever at the Bramley Moor or what but then everyone refers to it as Bramley Moor anyway because we've already seen with this new generation of stadiums I think both Huddersfield Town and Bolton Wanderers have had various names for their Mm. stadiums already and and it it can change in time maybe officially like I said it it would be called whatever after a sponsor but everyone might still refer to it as Bramley Moor Dock I suppose that their sponsorship not that I'm aware of it's still being referred to uh, as of the weekend, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Mm. So I think I, I, saw- I had rumours the other week that Nike might might be sponsoring it. But right. Apart from apart from that, like I wouldn't I wouldn't like to see Everton playing in the Nike Stadium. Like that that doesn't that doesn't fill me with a lot of joy. I suppose <laughs> I suppose ultimately the bottom line is if if the deal's right for the football club and yeah. it, and it yeah. swells the coffers accordingly, you know. This is this oh, is the yeah. kind of payoff for That's, a new stadium. Isn't it? Yeah. You have to accept it, yes. But you know, fans will give it their own names anyway. We found that out here. You know, the Echo Arena, now the MNS Arena, MNS Bank Arena, MNS Bank Arena. But no one calls it that, do they? Or do they? I don't know. It's it's just does it? What about Finch Farm? Officially, USM Finch Farm. All all official yeah. club documents, all releases. It's USM Finch Farm, as it strictly is its name. Yeah. But because it's been, it was Finch Farm and nothing else for so long before. 
I mean, I don't hear too many people refer no, to it. No, it's, it's difficult to break people's habits. Mm. You know, so once something's become accepted and you've spoken about it so many times, it's difficult to break that. I mean, it's Bramley Moor before it's before a spade has even been put in the ground. Yeah. So I think it'll always be the Bramley Moor, uh, regardless of what, you know, appendages uh, put yeah. before it. Well, mm. what I think is exciting what whatever comes up with the designs and uh, however it does end up looking. Having seen Tottenham Hotspurs at um, new stadium, it's not going to be as expensive that hopefully, <laughs> and, um, and it, it might not uh, have so many gimmicks. I think this, haven't they got some sort of uh, is it fromagerie or something? I don't micro brewery. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think the Evertonians might like that, but maybe, <laughs> maybe not the fromagerie. But um, yeah, seeing what Tottenham Hotspur have done, it, the, the next one is is in, invariably better. Mm. But, uh, so. It's exciting times for Evertonians for to finally see Tottenham's stadium being done and also showing well, why why can't Everton's get done and why can't Everton's be even better when it is done. Well, what I love about Tottenham's is it's next door to White Hart Lane, you know, so we, we saw it being built you know, oh, so yeah, over the yeah. last few visits, you know, it's uh, and it's looking better and better every time. And it's still in the same neighbourhood, so Spurs fans, you know, so will still go to the same pubs before the game, still make the same walk, still go out for the same yeah. station. Everton is very, very different. You yeah. know, it's uh, only a few miles, but it's a different yeah. part of Liverpool entirely. Yeah. So an entirely different match-going experience. So, you know, a whole new world to explore. Yeah. And what Tottenham had, Tottenham have actually won in the end. It seems that they lost because they lost... So, I mean, we're going to talk about West Ham later in the week, obviously, because that's Everton's next fixture, but they actually wanted to go to the Olympic Stadium, didn't they? And they lost that to West Ham United. But in the end, who's the real winner now? Yes. Yeah. You've, got, you've got one team in this huge bowl with you know, the massive spaces around. It's totally lost its identity. It thought it was getting a free lunch and has ended up with a stadium not suited for football. And then Tottenham have ended up staying on their own doorstep with their new bespoke um, stadium. They've, they've come out top on that one. Mm-hmm. Indeed, and as you say, Chris, we will discuss West Ham and uh, the London Stadium and how Marco Silva may need to catch a bus to get to the touchline from his seat <laughs> uh, later in the week when we reconvene. But uh, that's all for the first podcast of this week. Thank you very much, chaps, and thank you for listening. Remember, you can rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes and Acast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.